This is an on-the-fly continuing conversation coming out of an actual conversation me and Jim were just having. For those of you who don't know us, I hope you do by now. I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG. I am also a blogger on Continuing Missions, uh, uh, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG since 2018. And of course, I'm here with the amazing, and I'm so curious about Jim Johnson. <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Jim Johnson. I am the uh, project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modiphius Entertainment. These last seven years, going on, heading into year eight here pretty soon. I think we're, I think we're still in year seven. I'd have to look. Um, I'm taking my hat off tonight. Like I, I wear a hat all the time, and, I'm, and my hair's growing out. Um, I, I've been doing the. Uh, uh, they cover everything. Uh, project manager, line editor, Star Trek Adventures RPG. Oh, and co-host on this here show with Michael uh, after these last seventy episodes. Happy to be here. Happy to chat with you. Uh, just based on that conversation we just had offline, um, we're we're thinking about a short episode here talking about us. <laughs> yeah, letting our hair <laughs> down. That's why you took the hat off. Full of ego, but uh, we're just like, what, what an episode about what makes us who we are and what takes interesting. I don't know. I mean, uh, you've been if you've been watching the show from the beginning, you've been with us for 70 episodes. You probably have a sense. But uh I guess this is, uh, 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 you know, going behind the scenes or deeper under the... I want to. Well, I, I think, you know, I, I oftentimes, one of the things I start telling people about myself, because they would never believe it until they really get to know me. If you ask any of my close friends, they know it. I'm an introvert. I actually don't like being in crowds. Um, I thought I did as a young person and kind of burnt out. Um, and I love Zoom. Believe me, the, for some people, the pandemic was hard. I know, you know, you've spoken about that. It's hard in some veins. For some people like me, it was like, wow, this is like paradise. I, I was, <laughs> I was in the zone. Well, I, I have a question about for, for you. Cause I, you know, you've talked about it a little bit and I'm intrigued by it just because I've always loved the stage plays. I love acting. I love dialogue. What got you into that? When was like the first time you ever dabbled into the performing arts? The first time it was like fourth grade. Uh, the, the little elementary school I was in, in New York, uh, New York city, we were doing, um, I want to say it was Cinderella, but it might not have been Cinderella. It might've been like a version of Cinderella or it might've been something else, but like, I can remember, um, it was, it was compulsory theater, right? We were all expected to be involved in it. So we always, we, we all had to find a role to do. And, um, I remember I was, like, I don't remember a lot because I don't remember a lot about my childhood. I think it's because I had a concussion when I was little. And I, I lost a lot of it. And just it, I, I remember bits and pieces, but I remember the stories more than I actually remember the actual events. So I don't know if it's really accurate or not. Mm. But this, this, this show, though, I remember I was so excited to be involved in it that I was like I was one of the king's dudes because we were all wearing like paper mache uh, 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 sashes and belts and we had like like fancy suits on and stuff and we, we all did a little we all had to learn how to do a dance and of course it was the it was the classic uh you know we didn't want to get cooties so we were like dancing at, our, uh, <laughs> at arms arm's length um but like the, the the director needed somebody to ring a bell and someone and needed um like an announcer or something and like i was the only kid raising my hand to want to do it it's like oh can, can i can i can i run from the dance 
over to the piano to ring the to ring the triangle to be the bell and then i can run up to the front to be to do the announcements and like i think i was self-conscious enough to to know that there were other kids in the show and that i wanted to make sure that other kids had other things to do but like i don't think any of the other kids ever raised their hand to want to volunteer or anything and so i was the only person volunteering to do stuff Mm -hmm. so she gave me like four things to do in this play i think we only did two performances (laughs) so i did did it all and it was fun but then i got out of out i didn't do any more theater until after i graduated college actually i was in college i I was uh i was i had to take some electives to fill out my degree and uh and i was like well stage combat sounds cool i'll do that and i'd already taken a bunch of uh um uh, shakespeare and um you said um, stage combat yeah, stage combat. So it's 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 a way of uh, doing stage fighting, you know, safely but still making it look cool and, and making it look you know good and telling a story to the audience. So it's a hand to hand fighting. It's a, a staff. It's a sword, rapier, uh, you know, two handed swords, etc. Okay. Uh, there's, a whole, there's a whole thing around stage combat and doing wow. it doing it safely. Um, but uh, so I took a couple of electives on stage combat. I took a couple of electives on acting because uh, I was a I, I'm a huge introvert. Like you, may, it, it may not come across um this because this is safe like this is super safe I'm exactly i can do whatever the hell i want <laughs> I, I feel you that's why i love it but uh um i was such a huge introvert i i knew that like as i was starting to head into the professional world i had to do something and at the time i didn't know what toastmasters was mm-hmm. if i had known what toastmasters was you know many moons ago i would have absolutely joined it right away uh, even though i would have been scared and nervous to do it Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but theater seemed relatively fun and, and safe. And I knew some friends who had done theater and they said, oh, Jim, you should try doing theater because of all the RPG experience I had, right? Because doing RPGs, I was doing character voices. I was doing character mannerisms. I was making up story. I was already doing the acting without really having any training to do it. Uh, so it was, it was an easy transition to go from RPGs into theater. And um, right, when, so I took those electives in school and that, it was fun experience, it was interesting to try it out. Um, but then as soon as I graduated from, from college, because like when I was going to college, I was working full time to cover, you know, cover bills and expenses and life and shit. And then I was doing school part time, which is why it took me forever to get my degree, because like mm-hmm. there's only so many classes you can take when you're going part time. And and for certain degrees, I mean, I was just an English major and history minor, like in order to finish my degree, I had to wait for certain classes to be available and they didn't always offer them every semester. So I ended up taking random classes here and there. But anyway, long story. Um, so when I was going to school, like all my time was committed. Like I was either working or I was going to, to, to class. I didn't have time for much of anything other than that. And of course I was in the DC metro area. So I was, you know, anytime I wasn't at work or at school, I was commuting. Right? So that's, that's, that's your choices really. Um, but the moment I graduated um, from from school, I suddenly had all this free time, and I was losing my mind. I was like, "What do I do with all this free time? I can't stand it because like I've got nothing to do except go to work." And I was bored. And uh, and and my sister, you know, bless her, she said, "Well, you've got that. You've got those theater experiences from school. Why don't you go audition for a show? There's tons of community theaters in the Northern Virginia area. Why don't you go to audition for something?" And I was like, "Oh." why didn't I think of that <laughs> and then literally that day I, I pulled I, I pulled up the local newspaper and I looked in the arts and entertainment section you know all two pages of it and uh, there was a local theater group that had just started um like six months prior to that and they were holding auditions for Robin Hood uh okay. or, or, a, or a uh a version of Robin Hood and uh 
and um, I happened to have that stage theater, uh, stage uh, combat experience, right? And oh, Robin perfect! Is a very <laughs> fighting kind of show. I was like, well, if nothing else, I got the I got the fighting experience, so I could go try that. I have so to I, ask you when you do an audition yeah. like that too. I have to ask a question: When you do an audition like that, do they give you the script ahead of time, or do you just walk in and grab a piece of paper? Um, it could be both. Uh, so um, for Robin Hood, though, because I because I had literally no, I, I mean, of course, I was this was my first ever audition. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, they they had they had short snippets of dialogue called sides, right? And they had certain sides that you could read. And they, they would say, you know, number seven and number 14, come on up. And I want you to read Robin Hood. I want you to read uh, Maid Marian, or I want you to read Robin Hood. I want you to read, uh, you know, Little John or whatever. And so they would do, they had, you know, different sn- snippets of the script that they would hand out to different people. And they would pair you up in different ways, try to get a sense of like, how are the, how are the actors, um, riffing off each other how are they working with each other um or are they just staring at the paper doing lines which is different. Yeah. did um, you use an accent uh <laughs> no and only because the director specifically asked us at the beginning like when they were doing their introductions mm-hmm. the the director specifically said please for the love of all that <laughs> don't do an accent unless you can make it convincing right like, like just put on a posh accent just for the sake of doing because you think it's it's necessary just we want to hear your natural voice and and which i thought was good because a lot of us were pretty hammy Mm. as it was and um so we just played it straight you know i mean we tried to emote and do the do the you know do the work and do the scene but Mm. we didn't put any put on any airs or anything i think there were a couple people who did and because they were the only ones doing it it felt really fake right (laughs) and awkward and then they would go up for another round and they would they would they would cut the accent which which was you know to their credit yeah, I, fig- um, I figured it would be kind yeah. of like karaoke, the people who try too hard, you know, right. it just it yeah. just really comes off bad. Yeah. Um, but then the, the, to answer your question in, in another way, the other way you can approach auditions, especially for, um, you know, community theater, although I'm sure it's true for professional theater, too, is if uh, if you know the show, if you know what they're auditioning ahead of time, uh, it is super easy to go buy a stage play. Or to, or to go buy a, a copy of the play. What, I mean, there's there's several websites that specialize in uh, in selling stage stage plays, mm. um, and there's and there's plenty of books. That, you know, plenty of stage plays have been published in, in books and collections and stuff. So if you know that uh, you know your local theater group is going to be doing uh, Neil Simon's California Suite, you know, go buy yourself a copy of California Suite. It's like five bucks off of uh, Dramatist Play Services or um, uh, one of the other ones. I think there's I, there's, I think there's three or four. Um, play services that will sell you the the actual script um, in the same kind of format that you would get if you are if you get cast and they give you the script right so if you read that ahead of time get a feel for the characters get a feel for the ones that are probably in your wheelhouse of capabilities like me personally I'm a character actor I I, I'll never be the lead in anything (laughs) and I have accepted that a long time ago Mm. but the character roles are fun right the character the character roles are the ones that really people dig and get the best lines and the funniest you know moments or whatever um so like I'll read a I'll read a stage play and I'll 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 read it you know cover to cover and be like okay I think I could do this role or this role or this role um and and maybe you know if it's a if it's a big show with a lot of cast you know maybe I, I would if it's the right show in the right circumstances I would be happy to do like, you know, third spear carrier from the left or, uh, you know, bit player who has two lines, but has a really cool amount of things to do on stage or something. Um, so, 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 and then, yeah. so what's, what's the biggest audience you play to, you think? I mean, I mean, we're talking, you know, community theater, pretty small time. I think the biggest audience I had was maybe 700, 800 people. That's pretty big. 
Maybe actually, good. you know what? I was in a couple of musicals. I'm not mm-hmm. a, I'm not a singer, but I was I was playing some of the non-musical roles. And I think a couple of those performances may we may have topped out around 900 or 1000. And see. the challenge is that, you know, we're we're usually community theaters are usually in school auditoriums or or the like. And I mm-hmm. think um the biggest I mean like the we 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 had a we had space in a high school at one point. And I think their auditorium only seated like 1,200. Okay. <laughs> but I think like there were two nights of, uh, it was either Wizard of Oz or um, or one of the other big ones. I don't remember now. Um, well, I think that's cool. I mean, I, one, I'd love to find some photos of you or video yeah. of you actually doing that. Yeah. That would be, that'd be yeah. amazing. That would be amazing. That was a long time ago, man. That was, that was uh, I mean, I, I've got them, but uh, I don't I would love to see those. But uh, the, the, the best, um, a stage play I saw of West Side Story was actually a college. I went to Skyline College and I went there with a really bad attitude. Like, this is going to suck. You know, I just, I, I just went there with such a bad attitude with some friends and I had a blast. I mean, they put their heart into it. Um, the love story was so well acted. And to this day, even when I watch, you know, West Side Story, the original movie, which of course has the most amazing soundtrack ever, especially if you listen to it in a theater, it's like amazing. Yeah. But but I, I go back to that. And I'm like, wow. And that's when I got into actually going to smaller community plays um, and stuff like that. You just never know. And, and, and it doesn't matter. I, I don't want to say that they're not good because they are good. Um, it's a different mindset. You're really just getting into watching them emote and i i just love that so i i love the small house is actually a little more better than broadway which is um yeah i like broadway shows there's some ones i definitely love but i i would take a community theater over over broadway any day you know especially when people aren't doing it for money and glory and they're doing it for the art you could tell the difference yeah yeah although you know i i will push back just a little bit and say like if if it's a if, if it's a professional production and it's done well. You can still get that real intimate connection with the with the actors. I think um, the American Shakespeare uh, uh, Center in Stanton, Virginia, they 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 built a recreation of the Blackfriars um, Theater, and and they they do all their performances with the lights on, right? So so like liter- and like literally the the seats to the theater, the the seats around the stage are literally right on top of the stage. Like I mean, you're literally. Two feet away from the three to five feet away from the actors when they're performing, and in fact they put um, they have like four or five you know premium seats that they put actually on the stage, and you're like literally sitting on the stage right there, like you're practically in the show because you're right there, right in the right in their face, and um, the so when the actors that are doing their stuff right, they are able to see you and you're able to see them, and they can direct their lines right at you, and and they can pull you like it pulls you in in such a different way, yeah, way up in the nosebleed seats watching watching the show from way down like you just can't get into it it's different see um, i'm i'm the kind of guy with artists where i yeah. get i i i feel for them because i have such stage fright and i i believe me i can get on stage and I, part of my job is getting on stage and performing yeah. for thousands of people and and motivating and stuff like that and i can do it and I, afterwards i have serious back pain and i need to hide and watch star trek for 12 days but <laughs> but um the reason I think I like it, I cheer on performers. And so the, the, 
you know, you can go see, of course, a great show, Janet Jackson in concert, Beyonce, Dolly Parton, and they're just polished. They're just polished, you know, so I don't have to worry about them as much. I worry about the little guy in the stage playing a small jazz band. And when they <laughs> mess up, I'm the first one to like, yeah, you know, to like cheer them on. Hey, so I think, so I think I get more, I get more connected with the smaller yeah. productions and because I want them to succeed so badly, you know, I just, uh, yeah, I, and I don't feel the same way if I'm at a Justin Timberlake concert. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, interesting. I, I thought I thought you're the you're the big jazz the jazz uh, fan, right? I, I thought uh, isn't the old isn't the old uh, saying that there's no wrong notes in jazz? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you but can't you, ever really mess up. <laughs> it's true, but you know, you know what I mean. So, but I, I, I that I the nerves that they go through. Like I'm one of the people I sympathize for a lot of these artists who end up becoming addicts because um, I remember once I had you know had to have a surgery and. Um, I'm the kind where at night, my mind's always going. So if I have a project or something coming up, even if it's a speech or a lecture, I can't fall asleep. I'm asleep, but my brain is solving problems. I used to do that when I owned my own ad agency, I would come up with the best lines and jingles at night and I would wake up and have to write them down at two in the morning. Um, and so when I had surgery though, and they put me under, I remember waking up and my dad was there and he asked me like, how are you feeling? And I went, I never slept so well in my life because my brain stopped working. You know, it was just out. It's what you're supposed to be doing. And so I've always had this um, place in my heart, whether it's an Elvis or a Michael Jackson or these performers who, or Marilyn Monroe, who, because they're so creative, they become addicts or put themselves under at night to sleep. Um, and that's just so problematic, you know? So yeah. I always get nervous for the performer. Because yeah. it, it is a big, it's a big, it's putting yourself out there. It's a very vulnerable position in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially theater. Like I, I can easily see how people can get can get addicted to theater, but also get into substance abuse and other stuff. Because mm -hmm. um, it is such a high to be to be so creative, like in, in such a concentrated fashion. Because like like most theater productions I'm familiar with, um, you know, you do the auditions, you do the rehearsals. And then you do like two or three weeks of performances and that's compressed into about 12 to 14 weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. So you get this, you get this super intense period of time where you you're in a group of like, you know, 12 to 30, 50, however many people are in a production of other creative people. And you're creating this thing. You're, you're a family and you're creating this thing for a very compressed period of time. And then you get to perform it and you get to get the audience involved in it. You get their reactions which is immediate, right? It's not like uh, writing a book and waiting for reviews to come in. Like your react, the reaction is immediate because you can hear them laugh or cry or or sigh or whatever. You get that instant feedback, which is always a always a boost. Even if they hate you, if they're making noise, they, then you're, you're done doing something right. Right? <laughs> when they're quiet, then you got to worry. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then and then you want to go to the next show, and then the next show, and the next show, and then all of a sudden, it, like in my experience, you've 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 gotten the bug, and you've strung together, you know. Four years of four years of this, just constant one show after another after another, and you get burned out. Mm. And I got burned out. Like I got burned out big time. And I was like, I just can't. I need a break. And I and I actually slept. Like when I finally, you know, didn't get cast in the show, I was crushed, of course, because like I, I had been casting everything I had, I had auditioned for up to that point. I was like, oh wait a minute, I get to I get to take a break. I get to do my laundry and clean the house and <laughs> and 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 like actually read a book or something. And I, I don't have to just focus on the script or the actors or the theater or whatever and it, but it, and then you look back and you go gosh i was i was going 100 percent on that and now i'm burned out and i, I need a break i need to recharge yep. and then and then you know if you're like me 
you you take a break, you recharge, and then you you reflect on what you learned, hopefully, and then you're like, oh, now I can be a little more discerning, right? I don't have to accept literally every role I'm offered. I can I can take a break and I can I can be a little more choosy. And uh, I love hearing you say that. I, I literally, yeah, I had a, I, I you know, um, it was hard for me in about around 2013 where I was doing a lot. I was doing a lot at work. I was doing a lot of personal life. I was doing a lot. Um, even if it was going to a lot of social gatherings, things I thought I had to do. Um, and then I eventually burned out and, um, I went very introverted at that point. Like I only wanted to be with me at the gym, my wife, I didn't want people coming over. And it, what's interesting is I, I, you know, developed a lot of muscle problems and stuff like that. Like just, just from tension and stuff. Um, and you said you develop wisdom because then I was like, why am I doing this? You know, and I'll admit, I'll be the first person. I had someone to talk to, to help me through it. And why was I putting all of this on myself? And what's interesting about the pandemic is all of a sudden I, no one could come over. And at that same time is when you uh, approached me, you know, because of continuing mission during the pandemic and was like, hey, do you want to write? And that was the perfect time to ask because I was I every all the noise was out of my life. Yeah. I had time. I was home. I was in my zone. And really, it taught me a lot like this is a good spot to be in. And I want to stay like just because the pand when the pandemic ended, I actually kind of panicked. Because people were like, oh, I can't wait to see you. And all the calls start coming in. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I, I, that's how I was. Because I had found this sweet spot. Um, but what I did is coming out of it, I just came out more balanced. Mm -hmm. And and being like, okay, I can't do more than one big gathering every three months. Mm -hmm. Let's have people over in small controlled groups one time a weekend. It doesn't have to be every day. Um, and that allows me now my creative side where I can actually, you know, I like writing anyways, but now I really own, I'm kind of jealous of that time, that creative space. I don't think I could ever do a stage play. I probably would lose a spleen over it, but, <laughs> but, um, I definitely needed a creative outlet or I feel yeah. very dark mentally, you know? Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh, a couple, a couple of thoughts there. Like this is a non sequitur. We don't have to go into the detail on this, but, mm -hmm. uh, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, before the pandemic ended, it's like I don't think it's over. You're right, <laughs> I think it's still with us. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. but people don't act like it. I like I mean, they weren't acting like it during the pandemic. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so I can't. Said, I can no longer tell people like, no, you can't come over. What are you crazy? <laughs> I used to be able to say that for about two years, but oh, not anymore. We're we're still being pretty careful. Uh, we we just like you know we we we're doing the best we can, but. Uh, I, I've never been a fan of big gatherings anyway. I'm a, I'm an introvert. Like I, I like, I like small group discussions, small group conversations. Like, like if I, if I'm in a big group conversation, I will immediately look for the people with the cats or I'll look for people that are geeks like me. And then we can go sit down somewhere and within the part, the bigger atmosphere and talk about Star Trek or talk about video games or board yeah. games or RPGs or whatever. Um, and like, you just have to kind of like seek them out. And uh, cause like, I hate small talk. Oh my God. Small talk just drives me. I know. I have this weird personality, though, that when I'm in a room, 
it starts with like the kids gravitating toward me. And then I'm kind of like running to different rooms and then I'm annoyed by them. And I, and I tell them, I love, first of all, I'm going to say, I love kids, but, but I tell them when I, my interaction with them is like, why are you bothering me? I don't have children. Why are you talking to me? And then for some reason, yeah, for some reason that endears them to me. And I'm like, go away. You're no use to me. And then they'll still follow me. So I have this, my wife is like, well, why do you like go to Ma? And I was like, well, cause you know, they just, to know that you know not everyone has to like them but i do like them but that's kind of my shtick with them so i have this thing when i'm in a gathering my wife watches as i move to room quiet room to wherever people aren't whether it's the front yard backyard downstairs i move and then she'll say people trickle to that location and then i'm forced to move again yeah yeah that's that's weird when that happens right like i i tend to gravitate again i'm a cat person so i I tend to gravitate to wherever the cat is and i'll spend time with the cat it'll be quiet and I'll, you know, I'll have my, my, my snack or my drink or whatever. And I'll be hanging out with the cat and maybe talking to one or two other people. And then I'll see the, like the flow will come toward me. and like, Oh, it's time to get up and go, go refresh my beverage and uh, get some snacks or, uh, Oh gosh, is that the time? Oh, well, yeah. I now. <laughs> uh, I'm notorious for never saying goodbye because if one person hears you say goodbye, then you have to say hi, you're obligatory. You have to say bye to everybody. So I'll just, I, for, my wife knows sign language like I do. And so fortunately <laughs> if, we're, if we're in a crowd of people where no one knows sign language i'm like time to go (laughs) (laughs) she knows i do it just real quick and then i just disappear i'll wait in the car for her to catch up i'm gonna go warm up the car (laughs) yeah exactly interesting interesting i think that for coming up going back to like talking about star trek adventures and comic book conventions coming up you know i went to san diego comic-con for seven years in a row 150,000 people and believe me it was painful but i was working you know i was doing my uh, comic at the time i was building up my um manga and um i i do know that you know being behind the booth i felt safe because people could just line up but like outside the booth i was never the outside a booth kind of mingler and then i leave immediately to like a small cafe or coffee shop i don't go to the parties after i'm i'm just very let me find a couple people who i sync with and go talk and eat dinner with them you know yeah i was exactly the same way michael at uh, gen con I went to Gen Con in 2017 for the mm-hmm. launch of the of the book, of the Star Trek Adventures, the core book. And I'd never been to Gen Con before. I never like I have friends who've gone year after year after year and loved it. And I was always like, uh, I'd like to go, but it's like 70,000 people. I don't want to be around 70,000 people. Like I, I, I get I get I get anxious being around like seven people, <laughs> like much less 70,000. And uh, it was the you know I always found an excuse. It was the expense. It was the time. It was the drive. It was the flight. I mean whatever. Um, but, but my other argument was like, like they're going to sell all kinds of stuff there, but I can buy all that stuff at my game store or, uh, or online or something. So like, why would I go to a convention to buy it and have to haul it all home? Right. I can just have it shipped to me. Um, but then I went in 2017 and like you were just saying, like I was on, like I, I was working the booth. I was working the crowd. I was, I was hand selling the books mm-hmm. and, and I absolutely felt safer behind the cash register than I was like getting out on the floor. Like when it, when it was slow, it was like, well, there's no reason to just stand behind the booth here. So I need to kind of like walk out and kind of wonder. Right. It was like the the anchor was pulling me back. And it was like, oh, I want to be, I want to be safe behind the booth or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I like it because it's the controlled line. And and I, I really love intimate conversations. Like I love, I don't care who the human being is. If I have one person, I'm going to ask questions. It's probably why we do the show. I, I I have no trouble interviewing people, having open-ended questions. No one's ever boring to me. And wait, have I ever met a boring person? No, there is one person I met who is boring. 
I'm sorry. In my life, there is one person who I do believe wow. in boring. They'll never, I'll never say it out loud, but, yes. but I struggle to have a conversation with them because mm-hmm. their responses are so yeah. Anyways, but I love like when I'm in public and for the people who are watching this, just know I may be an introverted, but I really do am interested in people. I just want to get to know you. I'm not into, like you not into service conversations. I will ask you questions until all of a sudden I'm finding out stuff that you haven't even vocalized ever and nothing personal, but it's just like, I want to hear what's in your brain. It helps me write in my opinion. It helps me delve into uh, the complexity of humanity. It's a really nice thing. So, so for those of you who do meet me at a con one day, if I'm behind a booth, which I most likely is the only reason I would even be there, um, come up and talk to me. Don't hesitate. I do want to get to know you. So I'm going to put that disclaimer out there. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way, Michael. And uh, in fact, I, I I'm guilty of it <laughs> when I was when I did because I did uh, Gen Con uh, 17, 18, and 19, right? Because I was su- supporting the game, so I was working the booth. Um, but uh, I I wanted like even at the very first one, I wanted like you know people wanted us to sign their book, which is you know fine, but I wanted them to sign my book, right? So like every time somebody came up to the to the to the booth to buy one of the core books, I was like, and would you sign my book? Would you sign my book? And so I'd start up this conversation. And I would kind of forget about the fact that there was a line <laughs> of people waiting to buy stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, shoot, I can't really have meaningful conversations with these people right. over and over and over and over again. I need to just kind of move things along here. That and is so hard. Then I kind of wanted to move off to the side a little bit and have like buy the thing and then I'll move over to the side and you can mm-hmm. sign my book and I'll talk to you about it. Um, and so that's why it's good to have rotational coverage at those. When I did my yeah. booth, there were four of us. I had two of my uh, friends, I had the artists with me and I had two of my friends who were so cool and they would, they would push some product, but I, like, especially if I always feel that anyone who buys one of my art pieces, cause it's my writing, you know, yeah. that, that I want them to have memories to connect later on with. Right. I know when I buy art, if the artist is there, when I'm buying it, I'm way more I'm I'm more akin to buy it and then bring it home and tell a story with it. So I yeah, kind of try absolutely. to give people a story, you know, yeah, if they're absolutely. part of it. I think it's a great opportunity. And I wish I wish there was a good way to do it virtually, other than like virtual conventions that none not enough people are doing. But it, it it really changes the relationship when you can actually meet the people, you can actually meet the names that are in the book, right? It's mm-hmm. not just a list of, it's not just a list of faceless names that put the book together because who 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 knows these people from anybody else but when you actually get to meet the person and talk to them and shake their hand and just interact with them then then you're like oh wow this is a person i mean it's like um you know when i was when i was younger i I worked at walden books and i would be shelving the fantasy and science fiction novelists and and stuff and be like oh you know these people are like Mm -hmm. well you know high tier amazing people because they've written these books and then it wasn't until I joined, you know, CIFLA and I was like, oh, these people are just like normal people. Like some of them, they have good days and bad days and yeah. some of them are real a-holes and some of them are really nice <laughs> people. And I just, all I knew was their name on a, on a book and that they they provided these great stories. And then you actually get to know the person behind all that stuff. And it's really fascinating to to do that. And it's the same way with games, right? Like uh, I, I got to meet a lot of people at Gen Con that I would have never have met otherwise. And it's like, oh yeah, you wrote that, you wrote that game and you wrote that book. And it's like, oh, now I know you a little bit better. And it gives me a little bit better understanding of what they're doing with the game and stuff, which is always exciting. So uh, it is for those opportunities. Yeah. And I, I, and for me, and I, you know, the, this is why continuing missions got started as a blog with Tony Pye and, and um, everyone else, Colin Wilson, who got started is I am equally fascinated with the fans. Oh, this is weird how it's translating into my thing with stage theater. Oh, interesting. 
and, and I started, remember I started the blog to celebrate the fans as much as the writers, because the fan, we all dream of being writers. A lot of us, I shouldn't say we all, many of us dream of being writers or in some way creatively connected with our favorite IPs. And just because of the nature of the beast and the percentages of law, a lot of us are never going to be, it's just going to be hard. But at the same time, uh, the ideas are equally good. You're just not being paid for them generally, you know, and, and I think celebrating that when I'm at, when I'm at a, com- a, a comic convention, I gravitate toward the small indies. I want to know who you are. What's this story about? And I'm going to pick it up and support them just because uh, you know, maybe one day I'll see him. I remember there was a comic book. I forget the name of the uh, writer now, but it was Whiteout was the name of the uh, comic book. Whiteout, beautiful cover. I bought four of the books, and I was talking to the artist and to the to the um, uh, the the writer, and had a nice conversation with him, asking about the motivation behind the book, and you know the art was so cool. And then two years later, they're getting a movie, and I was like, I talked to them, and I just thought it was so cool that I spent the time with them and got an autograph. Um, it's this independent and seeing them be successful, even though I haven't met them since it was just like the biggest thing to me. So that's really the motivation between behind continuing mission for me too, is I think everybody I meet at some point is going to do something great. And it'd be nice that, you know, if I know them and had a little, some details about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, who you can meet and who you can, who, who, who crosses your path and you know, see where they go. And, uh, yeah, it's really cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it circles back to everything that we talk about on Star Trek Adventures. You know, as we the long way around, get back to the purpose of this. I think that there's motivation. I know, you know, I've had talk, many off the record conversations with you about how appreciative people are of you opening up the gates for for uh amateurs such as myself, you know, or budding writers to, to get a chance to have a piece of, of a, uh, iconic IP. And I think it's because you have that community feed or creative background and, and you're not, um, I don't want to say you're not in it for the money. I don't know if you are or not, it's, but, but you're in it for the art, from my opinion, you know, you love Star Trek, you're passionate about it and you want to share that passion and, you know, with other people have the experience. That's why I perceive you have to tell your own story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the, the RPG industry by and large is not an art, is not an interesting, is not an industry you get into for the money, right? Right. (laughs) Unless you're working for, I don't know, Wizards of the Coast and maybe Paizo. Um, there's, I mean, you you do it more than anything else you do it for the passion. I mean, mean, I'm the project manager, I'm the line editor. I have, I have, I have rates just like you do on writing and editing, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, is it a lot of money? No, but I mean, that's why most of us have day jobs, right? Right. right. Day job to, to pay the bills and to, and to survive and live and thrive. Um, but this is really, truly a passion thing. And, um, I, I appreciate the money, but <laughs> I'm mm. here for the, I'm here, I'm here for the fans and I'm here for Star Trek and, uh, um, yeah i i love podcasts about creators like some of my favorite podcasts is delta flyers um you know with garrett wong and bobby duncan mcneil and i encourage people who are interested in hollywood or in the industry get autobiographies because um frank oz said something that i'll always remember he says it will take he says it took me 20 years to become an overnight success And the reason why I say that is because oftentimes we're impressed by these people who show up on TV or they get a book or movie deal. 
But believe me, if you looked at how, what took him to get there and you looked at him 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you wouldn't be impressed, which is sad because you should be because they're working, they're hard, they're trying, they're starving artists. Um, and so, um, I tell people all the time, my nieces and nephews, same things like, right. If, if you, if someone loves playing the guitar, they don't wait to cut an album to play the guitar. They just do it every day out of the passion. And some people are discovered and some people aren't, but they still get fulfillment out of playing the guitar. Writing, drawing is exactly the same way. Like, yes, do I love the fact that I get to, because I write RPG anyways, whether or not I'm paid or not. Is it nice to get a little check for it? Sure. I'm not going to complain about it, but whether or not I'm still doing it. And that's where you're going to really find the people who perfect their craft over decades. Yep. You know, And again, a small percentage will one day get fortunate and be seen by somebody or shake the right hand. But um, yep. for, for those wanting to play with us, um, we want fans and, and professionals alike, right? It doesn't make a difference for Star Trek adventures. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, part of it's the tradition of, of Star Trek, really. I think uh, back in the heyday when uh, Next Gen and DS9 were on the air, I think even Voyager, um, uh, of course, that was network television at the time, so they had a machine, right? They they had to get 26 episodes a season um, into the into the pipeline, and uh, and next gen, I think after season two or three or something, they opened up the floodgates and said, any any fan, anybody, whether you're agented or unagented, if you can write a spec script and mail it into their um, into their slush fund and into their slush pile, um, they they had the writers, you know, the the staff writers would spend most of their day. Um, working on the show, but then they were, they were all reading slush too. And so mm -hmm. they'd, they'd read scripts and they like the ones that they liked, they would invite those writers into pitch stories. Right. So um, there's a, there's a tradition there of Star Trek of, of bringing the fans into it. And I mean, even, uh, I mean, that's how I got my start with Star Trek was the Stranger Worlds uh, anthology, short story anthology series. We talked about that mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, and that was just, that was opening the floodgates. Anybody who thinks they could write a professional grade, uh, short story mail it in the the judges would review them and take the best 20 or so and publish them and all of a sudden so cool. all of a sudden you got a professional writing credit right? cool. <laughs> it's, it's those little it's those little pieces that start building the foundation of whatever you're doing whether it's a career or just a a beautiful passion project that you're responsible for like uh, i love indie writers and indie comic creators and stuff and um i always i mean on the rare occasions i go to a convention anymore i always try to go into the uh the artists um Oh, artists, yeah uh, the alley artist alley whatever mm -hmm. it's called and uh, check out the writers and see what they're doing because i mean that's me right yep. I, mean, I might be working for modifius but i'm still an indie at heart and mm -hmm. uh like if if tomorrow modifius lost the license to star trek i'd be one of your most frequent contributors because <laughs> 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 right? I'm, I'm still going to be writing I'm still, I'm still going to be playing the game i'll still be loving the game um yeah. i don't need to be paid to love to do it i mean it's certainly nice to happen but uh i i I, I know that continuing conversations will not be going anywhere. Right. Even if the game moves on to another company at, in, at some point in the future, because that's, I mean, honestly, that's the nature of IP games right. anyway. Like eventually someone's else is going to pick it up. I don't know when or, or why or how, but uh, um, it's just the sad truth of life is that nothing lasts forever. Right. So that's just uh, in but the back of my mind, somewhere in the back of my mind. I'll be, our creativity I'll be does. So our, no one can our, our, our creativity will always be there. Yeah, I think that's cool. I, again, I'm going to encourage people to listen and read books about people who've struggled to 
create because to me it's inspiring like oh just don't stop you know you just never know what's going to be picked up i think a lot of these screenplay writers they have hundreds of screenplays sitting on their shelf and then 25 years later someone somehow gets their hand on it and you know you just to me it's just produce 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 for the love of it um and and even in the future you know i've taken old stories and rework them into star trek adventure modules because no one else was seeing them it was in my private box no one else is sharing and now i get to rework concepts and and get them printed so that that would be my encouragement to everybody out there and i i would i would i would follow on to that to say um uh Everything, I'm targeting writers specifically, right? Because we're talking about writing more than anything else because we're both writers. Um, I think uh, everything you write is practice for the next one, right? And I know a lot of writers don't like to hear practice. Like practice is a four-letter word for some people because, oh, I don't want to practice. I just want to be perfect right away. It's like, well, you can't, it's not possible, right? Even even if you're Mozart, you still have to practice. (laughs) <laughs> um, so like everything you write, whether it's a drabble or a short story or a novel or a screenplay or a stage play or RPG um, module or whatever, it's all practice for the next thing. And none of it's wasted. None of it's bad. Like I, I read a lot of uh, novice writers out there who are like despondent that they had to cut 2000 words or 5000 words from their story or their novel or whatever. It's like, it's OK. You were you were on a you were on a path and you realized it didn't work. That's still two to three thousand words of practice that you got in. And then, but you were smart enough to see that it wasn't working. So you went back and then you started it over again. Or exactly. A different attack. And it's okay. Um, but like you said, though, like uh, I think every writer I've ever met is a pack rat of some sort, whether they're keeping physical copies of their stuff or mm-hmm. they're keeping electronic copies of their stuff or they're keeping a mental tally of their stuff. They're always recycling stories or reusing stories or or they started writing a story and like some character came out of it that was really cool. Mm-hmm. It was wrong fit for that story they were like oh i'm going to cut that character out but i'm going to hold on to that character and do another story with them at some other point because it might fit better somewhere else um and you're always on like i'm watching tv and movies yeah. and i'm constantly saying oh i could rework that for this oh i like that character let me put them as a cardassian yeah like i'm constantly in that writer's creative mode and even right. at work my day job where i'm in communications and organizational development all i do is get edited all day long i'm writing stuff for the executives and for and, and for social media and i just get so, i'm so used to being edited in life i learn not to take it personally anymore <laughs> you know um and i will take it and reuse it somewhere else you know one one year they're like oh no edit this blah 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 and then the next year i go use the old one they're like that's great it's so many emotions and the editor's opinion is you know it's so whimsical i've learned so don't throw anything away you'd be surprised how people will react to something later i remember i wrote in fact what's funny is i wrote when i was dating my wife i wrote her a poem And I'm the only one who appreciated the poem and she appreciated the poem. And then when I did a comic book about 15 years later, I I had a little rapper. His name was Red Rover. And he had a little rapper and he was a kid and he was trying to woo the girl on this play yard. And I said, "Okay, I need a really good rap. 
and I brought that poem back and it ended up being published, you know, and, and I'm like, <laughs> wow, it's like something I wrote, you know, 15 yeah. years ago for my wife to be romantic ended yeah. up being in my manga comic book, at, at, you know, issue three. And I, that just reminded me, like, don't throw anything away. You don't know when you get and people and, like when people were reading the comic who are getting reactions from, they were getting all teary eyed and choked up because the poem was so cute. And I was like, that's the reaction I wanted. My wife, she read it once, put it away. But, you know, <laughs> my, the people who read my comic, they liked it. They teared yeah. up a little. There you go. Um, so, so to bring this over, bring this full circle back to theater. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the just, you know, as part of the uh, somehow this has turned into writing advice. I don't know how that happens. I don't know. Because I said we're just going to have a conversation today, get to know each other better. That's yeah. all. Yeah. But that's what that works. Like, like, I mean, writing, writing's in my blood and uh, that's, yeah. that's who I am. I'm a writer. And but uh, um, to take it back to, to to theater for a moment, if you are a writer and you want to, you know, get more insights into how to write people, go audition for for like even if you have no intention of accepting the role, go audition for a, for a community theater production in your area because you'll get to go up on on stage or in front of people and you get to speak the words because like stage plays are meant to be performed, right? They're not just meant to be read. Like Shakespeare is deadly dull on this page, honestly. But it bring, but it, an actor can bring it to life, and and like you need to feel the words in your mouth, and to be able to emote and, and to do it, and it gives you some, it just changes the brain a little bit, so that when you're when you get, sit down to start writing your next manuscript, and you're doing the dialogue, you can actually start feeling how that dialogue actually works. That's why I love to read my stuff out loud. Yeah. When I when I do a draft, I try to read it out loud, or I try to have somebody read it to me, so I can listen to it. That's why I love my Kindle. My Kindle will read it to me, which is such yeah. a godsend. Um, I do the same with all on Microsoft Word. I do yeah. read aloud. Yeah. Because yeah. just looking at it on the screen or on the page is one thing, but to actually hear the words, then you can start like, oh, that sounds really awkward. That like those those four words in succession doesn't sound right. And uh, you know, to be honest with you, this is one of my complaints about children's books. Because when my when my when my son was little, I we've just we read a ton to him. And some some there were some children's books that like I don't think the writer was thinking about somebody reading it out loud because like it was just like really awkward phrasing and constructions and like consonants on top of consonants. It was like really hard to get some of these words out. It's like, I don't like, I mean, I like the story of this book, but I don't like the way it's written because I just can't get it out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, go, so go, go, go see stage plays, go write stage plays, go, go act, go, um, you know, audition, absolutely audition, especially if you have stage fright. It's okay. Everyone, everyone, even the even the experienced actors have stage fright. Trust me, they just have learned skills to overcome it, mm -hmm. um, and that's what we do, right? You, as in, especially as introverts, we have to learn how to flex and be extroverted for a little while, and then we go disappear for a week because we have to research. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's true. I, I think I think too. One of my things for writing is when I write, I write, and then my goal is to get it down to the most concise sentence as possible. I am a firm believer in the beauty of the short sentence. A long sentence to me means it is necessary beyond measure to put more words in. But my goal is when I'm writing, I first just write everything. And then I go in and just start cutting and try to get those sentences as short as possible. There's an author I love, and he's actually a writer for Star Trek Adventures, Marco Raffala. And he has the book Where Fires End. And his, if read where fires in, I'm going to recommend Mark Raffala's book, his concise use of language, that entire book is a poem. 
He didn't mean to write it as a poem. It's a novel. But if you watch how his use of words, that's how I strive to be as a writer. I so admire him. Um, and so, again, my thing is people try to create these big, complex, and they stress themselves out about having to write all this stuff. And like you said, when you open your mouth and read it out loud, it's like, no, that doesn't even make sense. Get to those short, punchy sentences. Yes, see Jane run. That's an acceptable sentence. I have it very clear in my mind what's happening there. Um, and so that's something to, you know, going back to writing advice or being in a play and articulating the words. You really learn about the beauty of cadence, mm -hmm. of sentence structure, of how to put certain words together. It's just a, a wonderful art form. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Jim, I enjoyed getting to know you better. Yeah. <laughs> Ditto, buddy. I, I know we talk about this stuff all the time when we're not recording, yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's like two people in our audience who cared enough to watch all this. <laughs> I think yeah. we went on for like an hour, but uh, well, you know, it's a labor of love. You know, I, I remind people. You know, we're we're not making money off this podcast. The reason we do it is because we talk about it anyways, and we're always trying to create a better product. For me, I was doing it before I was even writing. You know, for it, I I just. My, everyone wants to know if I have any selfish motivation whatsoever is to keep getting people to play the game. So it's always there. And we're always getting professional level materials from the publisher, because again, I've been part of RPGs that fall away and the quality of what fans can produce is not good. So if there's anything selfish, you're going to accuse me of anything. It's trying to keep it alive. So I have really beautiful hard copy books up on my shelf. Okay. So that's, that's my selfish motive, but, but either way, you know, it's, it's, I, I think people should know that maybe we're going to have an episode like this. Maybe you don't think it's the best episode ever, but this is what we're doing anyways this is who we are, you know? Interesting. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, I, I guess it's selfish too, but in a different tack, like I, I love Star Trek. I love, I love everything about Star Trek and um, Star Trek has changed. This is something we didn't really talk about, but I know we've talked about it at length on other episodes. Star Trek was really super, super formative into who I am in terms of like how important it is to me to understand people from all different walks of life, you know, re religion, faith, creed, color, sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera, all across every spectrum that you can think of like that diversity, inclusion, equity, all that for me, got its origination in star trek like when i saw the original series cast on the screen and it was like i was like okay this is something different than where i'm living at the moment because i was living on a you know my my dad was in the surface i was on a military base um which was very diverse like the military fortunately at the time even in the 70s was pretty diverse um but um my school weirdly was like primarily white and i was like no this doesn't this doesn't fit like what i know and it was weird um, but Star Trek was like, oh, this this is something different. And and that feels right. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not just one color or gender or whatever. But uh, and I and I love Star Trek so much. I want to get more people into it. And um, I love RPGs. Right. I love I, like I'm an RPG -er to the core. And uh, the more people I can get into RPGs to discover the possibilities of the hobby outside of the 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 big huge <laughs> tentpole games that are out there like there's so many other games that you can play um no knocks no knocks on those because i love playing them too um i've just have found other niches that i enjoy more um i just i love i love oh man i, I and this is me waxing poetic again um mm -hmm. the one of the unexpected joyful side benefits of doing this gig is is being able to uh, well, first, talk to you and, and do this kind of a podcast, which is amazing. Um, but like when I'm when I'm cranking away on a, in a on an edit or something, and I need to take a break, 
I can go pull up YouTube or Twitch and I can see gamers all around the world playing this game uh, or or some form of Star Trek. Uh-huh. And, and, they're, and it's clear they're digging it and they're having fun and they're playing our modules or they're playing their own stuff based on our modules or they're just using our product or whatever. And, and like knowing that we put our heart and soul into those products, right? And they're using it with their game table and they're coming up with their own amazing Star Trek adventures. That That is that is the win for me right there. That, that's why I, I agree. Because yeah. I, I can see people are passionate about it and they're getting into it and they're having fun. And it's like, oh, I helped enable that. That's so cool. I love that too. Yeah. And then taking is, their own spins on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so like, cool. I mean, in my professional world, like um, just within the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've really kind of figured out that like I'm really passionate about people, about helping people be better at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and like like making them more effective and making them more capable at their job just by you know making little tweaks to their to their workflow or their day or whatever and all of a sudden they're more productive and I can yep. see tangible results and like I can see it happening with gamers like oh we make this thing and then we try to give them a little guidance and we try to give them opportunities to do cool stuff with our toolboxes mm-hmm. and then I see them do these amazing podcasts and and twitches and uh, actual plays and stuff and it's like oh oh we helped enable that and it's like that's mm-hmm. the best feeling because I know how many amazing experiences I've had personally playing other games, not just Star Trek, but just in general. And like, you know, until the internet came along, we didn't really have the means to tell the creators, you made something amazing that gave, that changed my life. Right. Right. Positive. And, um, and now I get to see that happening. <laughs> with other people, cool. like, This is so cool. I, you know, talk about addictive. We were talking about addiction a little yeah. bit earlier. It is kind of addictive to see that because it's like if I'm if I'm stalled out on a project or on a editing something or whatever, I'm, I don't feel like reading pitches that night or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I get re-energized um, watching other people, you know, doing the thing, doing the game or whatever. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, that's why I'm doing this. It's because yeah. if I don't get this edit done, they're not going to have this cool stuff that somebody put their passion into to write. Right. Like if, if I if I'm not editing Michael's thing, you're not gonna get to see it and then you're not gonna be able to create your own adventures with it. So either get back to work. <laughs> so exactly. Then, yeah. And my thing is it just keep, you know, podcasts like this or all the social media challenge yeah. uh, channels. I'm so happy to see new people walk through the door. Um we've had fans on here who've never been on a podcast before just to talk about their passion. And I think it reinvigorates them to keep it going too, you know? So that's what we're here for. We're continuing conversation. I, this was all happenstance and unplanned and, and, and a wonderful happenstance in that case. So um, we're going to, we're going to keep it going. And I, you know, I always thank you, Jim. So I appreciate you and I appreciate all the fans out there who, who uh, stick with us. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I know that the handful of fans, well, I'm not going to be dismissive, uh, everybody who, everybody who watched this to the end, hopefully you found some great nuggets of gold in here to, uh, to pull out and make use of. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love doing that. That's why I love listening to writers, uh, just talk shop because, uh, even, even if they're droning on and they're boring as hell, they, they might, they, they might still drop in some nuggets of gold that I'll take and be like, Oh, that's, that's the, that's the thing I needed to get through yeah. my block or whatever. Well, the stuff you need to know is actually free. I mean, I, I really believe that once you start talking to me, the stuff you need to know to become a great writer is actually free. If you listen to these conversations a lot. And again, a lot of it is discipline and routine. It's just, just like you go to the gym, you got to make writing, like going to the gym. I don't care if it's 15 minutes a day or an hour a day, but you just got to get your foot through the door, your fingers on the keyboard, um, in, in that case. So that's why I think it's worth talking. I, I would, I would have loved if someone would have had this conversation with me when I was 15 years old. I would have had, I would have been even more. <laughs> 
more disciplined. I was already writing at age 15, but if I knew somebody would have just said, you know, just write to write, like you play the guitar, I would have taken off um, even more. So cool. All right. I think we're at gratitude time. Okay. Bricks and mortars. I'm going to go give it to the bricks and mortars again. This time, Darren Kerr, Kerr um, shouts out the game preserve. I love the name of that. The game preserve fashion mall commons, Indianapolis, Indiana. If that's not a creative name for a game shop, I don't know. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, so my gratitude, uh, Michael, I'll thank you for starting create for starting creative or I'm sorry for starting continuing conversations the podcast and, uh, mm-hmm. in the podcast and inviting me in um grateful for you all the time even if i don't tell you so thank you thank you here. likewise uh thank you to all the writers all the fans especially all the fans i mean i, I can't i can't thank you enough i know i do it all the time but it's still not enough because like i can see it every day i can see their passion for the game and for star trek and and how willing a lot of them are in helping new gamers come in because like you know we're, we're we're lucky that uh um we are doing a game based on an IP that has new content coming out on a regular basis, which uh, we haven't seen for some games for a while. Right. And uh, it's creating new gamers all the time. And those new gamers are naturally coming to the game with the same questions. Like it's the same questions I've been seeing for seven years now, but the fans are always very patient and, and just re- repeating the same answers over and over again. And uh, it's yeah, great I- to see the fans do that. So uh, thank you fans <laughs> for doing that. I'm a very cynical and dark humor kind of person. So I always think of like, when I look at the YouTube videos or the podcast numbers, you know, like if the YouTube video has like 160, you know, views and I figure, Oh, one person a month has been watching it since we started this. (laughs) Also the people trickling in, you know, maybe we'll get to tipping point and all of a sudden it'll just snowball where we have millions of views. But (laughs) that's, that's a whole different conversation. Probably. I think, uh, I think Star Trek Adventures is is more than ready for that tipping point. And it's just a matter of like who's it gonna like who, who what's gonna happen to to knock that one domino over. And uh, we we flirted with it like uh, behind the scenes we flirted with it a little bit. And uh, I'm not sure the the critical mass has quite happened yet, but uh, that's a critical mass. I I tease because you know on my Twitter, if anybody follows me on Twitter, I'm going for one million followers. Okay, I'm like <laughs> nine. 100,000, yeah. away. But, but you know, I am shoot high and you know, I'm going for a million followers. Yeah. So follow me if you still use right. Twitter. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's, it's funny. And not, not to, not to drag this on any longer, but, uh, um, my, my son and I watch uh, YouTube videos of, you know, specific channels. And uh, the other day he was like, well, you know, how did this, how did this YouTuber get the little silver plaque or whatever? Like they were showing off the silver plaque on their, on their episode or whatever. And I was like, oh, well, you know, they have, uh, you know, 50,000 or, you know, 100,000 subscribers, whatever the target number, I don't know what it was. Right. Um, so I said, you know, so so this this person has done enough content and enough interesting content that he's gotten this many, that many people to subscribe to his channel. And that's all, you know, that's what it takes. Not to say that's all it takes, but that's what it takes is that you just have to keep doing content and keep being interesting and keep engaging people. And um, I mean, that's that's all it is. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep keep doing what you love. and. Uh, Eventually, interested people will flock to you. Uh, I thought your kid. I thought you said. I thought you were about to say. And then my kid asked, "How many likes does your podcast get, Dad?" Well, I don't even know. I don't. I don't pay attention to the numbers. We don't. We don't. Right? Just sometimes not, let us know. Yeah. That's not why. That's not why I'm doing this, right? I'm not doing this to get numbers or to be an influencer or whatever all that BS is. But I just don't care. Like, I'm passionate about this. I know you're passionate about it. 
And somehow we're connecting with people who are equally passionate about it, whether they're fans or professionals or somewhere mm-hmm. in between. And I, I love the fact that we're able to invite, you know, not to say Joe average fan, but like we, we can, we'll invite everybody onto the show. If we can yeah. talk to them. I'm your average geek. I'm proud yeah. to say I'm your average geek. I'm not over the top. I'm not, not, not knowledgeable, but you know, I'm a working person who has to make a living. And so I can't, you know, I, I envy these people who know every single IP and details about them. I'm like, how do you have the time? I, I envy them, but good. All right. Well, we're here and we're back at our IDIC moment. <laughs> And uh, uh, this is a great conversation, Michael. Thank you. Uh, Long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you all next time. All right. Love y'all. Be well.